This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Continually devoted. The last four months, I've been learning what it means to be continually devoted. You see, just four months ago, my wife and I welcomed a brand new baby boy into the world. That's right. I'm a dad. His name's Gavin. He's a delightful little fellow, wide-eyed and sometimes wide-eyed when we wish he was sleeping, but you know how kids are. And we've been learning what it means to be continually devoted. Every day, he needs his diaper changed. He has to be fed. He has to be walked and spent time with and almost 24-7, it seems, entertained and played with. And even though sometimes we may get tired, we may want to sleep in on a particular morning, we're continually devoted unceasingly focused on caring for that little boy. And it's the same way for us as part of the family of God. When we join God's family, we're invited to be continually devoted to the life of being a member of the family of God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the Bible records for us, Luke records for us, the activities of the early Christian church just after the day of Pentecost. It says they were continually devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, I've invited three friends to join me on the platform this morning, and we're going to dig deep into Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, going through verse 47, and we're going to study this morning what does it mean to be continually devoted and what are the activities what are the ministries what are the focuses that god calls for us to focus on as his church after all when the holy spirit is poured out what are we going to be doing good morning elizabeth good morning dale and natasha thanks for joining me here for this study we're looking at of course in acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 42 and those 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 four activities that the early christian church is focused on and i guess really the context of that is this has happened just after the day of Pentecost. 3,000 have been added to the church, 120 before the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 after the day of Pentecost. And so this is taking place in the context of this is what the church is doing to disciple new believers, to incorporate them into the body of Christ. And of course, this is just after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, so this is what a spirit-filled church looks like. So why this focus on the apostles' teaching? What is the Apostles' teaching? That's a good question, and the answer is found in the best place, the Bible. So let's all turn to Acts chapter 4, verses 10 and 12. And I believe the Bible explains it best. Um, And the Bible reads in verse 10, Be it known unto you all, and to the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, Whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there any salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And so, truly, the apostles' doctrine is... um, It's focused on Christ, so it's Christ-centered. It's what Christ has done, it's what Christ is doing, and what Christ will do. It talks all about what Christ did on earth um, in coming and being the spotless Son of God, 
um, the Lamb of God paid for, who paid for our sins, what he's doing in, in heaven um, as our heavenly intercessor, and what he's going to do when he comes back to save us from our sins. So are you saying that the apostles' doctrine is the everlasting gospel in a sense? Yes, yes. And it's Jesus is the very focal point of that doctrine, the very heart and center of it. Now, why was the... Why was this, there this need for a focus on the Apostle Doctrine? I mean, after all, um, hadn't they just received the Holy Spirit? When we receive the Holy Spirit, aren't we supposed to have a direct line to God and, and uh, he just speaks directly to us and we just allow him to lead us where he's leading us? I mean, why this focus on doctrine, on teaching? Okay, well, John chapter 7, verse 16 um, goes over that a little bit. So John chapter 7. Verse 16. Verse 16. Mm-hmm. And, and the Bible reads, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but him that sent me. So we see here, apostle means one who was sent, correct? So Jesus was sent by God, and Jesus sent the apostles. So there's like a direct line. The apostles were sent by Jesus, who, and Jesus was sent by God. And the Holy Spirit comes in um, as... When, when Jesus went up to heaven, he promised the Holy Spirit to the disciples and as a result to us as well. And everything that we've learned, will, the Holy Spirit will bring things into remembrance. And so though the apostles had Jesus at the time and he was, his very life was the doctrine, his very teachings, his very being, though we may not see Jesus as I see you, Sean, the apostle, we have the Holy Spirit to to inspire us and to really give us an understanding of who Jesus is through the Bible. So it sounds like biblically then, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit being given and filling us, mm-hmm. a Spirit-filled church, would be even a more Bible study-focused church exactly. rather than a less Bible study-focused exactly. church. Exactly. And the way that I understand it is, say you're reading a poem, for example, and you read the poem and you kind of draw your own meanings and you wish you had the author of the poem to give you what he meant or what she meant when she wrote the poem. And the same with the Holy Spirit. We, read, we may read the Bible and we may draw our own conclusions, but if we, draw, if we pray for the Holy Spirit and ask for his wisdom and his enlightenment, he himself will give us an understanding of what he intended when he inspired the Bible writers to write what they wrote. And that's, the, that's truly the power and the beauty of the Holy Spirit. The Apostles' Doctrine was focused on Christ, and the Holy Spirit will give us that understanding of who Christ is and dwell in us. And the Apostles heard Jesus speak the doctrine, right? And the the Holy Spirit will give us um, and will give us the um, the ability to have Christ live in us and to fulfill those doctrines, so that we may live like Christ, and He may restrain us. And the Bible says the, the love of God constraineth us. And um, we find that in John chapter 14, verse 15, a direct application that we can draw. Um, and this is such a beautiful verse. Um, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? So our ability to keep the commandments of God is Christ-centered. We, oftentimes we remove the commandments, the law of God, from Christ. And Christ is making a direct connection between the two. If you love me, Christ says, keep my commandments. And the Holy Spirit will constrain us as it reads um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. He will dwell in us so that the word of God and the life of Christ will be manifested in our lives through his word and through the Holy Spirit. So it sounds like what scripture is teaching us, mm-hmm. that the apostles' doctrine is really not the apostles' doctrine after all. No, it's not at really all. It's really the teaching of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said that he spoke as his father told exactly. him. Exactly. So exactly. really we have 
the the teachings of heaven. Mm-hmm. Now, you connected with this, this with the gospel, right? That the the apostles' teaching in Acts four mm-hmm. is is the gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so, are doctrines or teachings salvational issues? Everything is salvational because Jesus, his very ministry on earth and, w- and what he's doing in heaven is salvific, right? So. Um, everything that we should do should be centered on Christ, and Christ's entire ministry was to save, right? And he, he taught so that we may understand salvation. We may understand the love of God that was designed, um, our salvation that was designed from, from the Garden of Eden, really. That, that reminds me of, of 2 John, mm-hmm. uh, verses 9 and 10. Uh, 2 John, verses 9 and 10. Uh, anyone who goes too far... And does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Mm-hmm. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Mm-hmm. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. So what Scripture is telling us then, mm-hmm. and what you shared with us, is that doctrine and teachings are salvational. It matters what we believe. Mm-hmm. It matters that we accurately understand God's word. Because if we don't have the right teaching... Mm-hmm. And this isn't Gnosticism, where we know there's some special knowledge mm-hmm. that, that makes us superior and, and able to enter into the divine realm. But this is just the reality that God communicates with us. Mm-hmm. He communicates with us in Scripture, mm-hmm. and he wants us to believe what Scripture says mm-hmm. rather than erroneous false teachings. Yep. And Jesus says he came to fulfill the law, right? So his very, his very existence on earth was designed so that all that was written in the Old Testament, he was a fulfillment of that. And it continues to be so. So the apostles' teaching mm-hmm. is something that the early church was devoted to, continually devoted to, mm-hmm. unceasingly devoted right. to. How were they devoted to that apostles' teaching, and how can we emulate that in our lives today? They were devoted to it because everything they taught, the way they lived, was they had Christ in mind. And there's a quote by Ellen White in Acts of the Apostles, page 28, that reads, the disciples were to carry their work forward in Christ's name. Their very word and act was to fasten attention on his name as possessing the, po- the vital power by which sinners may be saved. Their faith was to center in him who is, who is the source of mercy and power. In his name, they were to present their petitions to the Father and they would receive an answer. The disciples were to speak th- with the same simplicity which Christ had spoken. They were to impress upon their hearers the lessons he had taught them. So everything that they did was Christ-centered. And that's really the, the take-home message from the Apostles' Doctrine is we are to live our lives with Christ as the center point. And he, he will fulfill the, the promises and the, the, the prophecies in our lives as we see, seek him constantly and seek to fulfill his, his word through the Holy Spirit. So the Apostles' teaching is vital. Right. A spirit-filled, a spirit-led church will devote themselves to the study of Scripture exactly. because they want to accurately understand God's revelation of himself, mm-hmm. most clearly seen, of course, in Jesus, right. and then related to the apostles that, that, that are shared down with us. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of um, in Second Peter 1, mm-hmm. where we have the, the clear revelation that holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Mm-hmm. So the apostles' teaching and being filled with the Holy Spirit we, we really should be coming to the same place. Exactly. exactly. A spirit-filled church is not going to teach false doctrine. No, it's not. No, so it's not. what's that mean? If a church is teaching contrary to Scripture, does that mean they're not filled with the Spirit? It means they're not surrendering themselves to the movement of the Holy Spirit. So if we're truly surrendered and asking for the, the wisdom and the direction of the Holy Spirit, He won't lead us awry. 
right? Because the same Holy Spirit that was there when the apostles were teaching and the the same Holy Spirit that inspired Scripture is the same Holy Spirit that will inspire us to really understand and, and devote ourselves to Scripture. Now, it says here that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Mm-hmm. It sounds like this isn't just the apostles yeah. sitting in a back room and doing exegesis and, and pulling down the commentaries from the shelf. Mm-hmm. I guess they didn't have commentaries, did they? Mm-hmm. they had the Old Testament. They, 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 were, they were Old Testament commentaries with the, from, the, from the rabbis. But that this was the entire church involved in it. Mm-hmm. So I remember um, uh, hearing a, a, a gentleman preach once, and he, he said that uh, he focuses on praying, mm-hmm. and his wife is the one who does the Bible study. Mm-hmm. So he prays, and, and she studies. Yeah. That's a very yeah. literal understanding of two shall become one, no? <laughs> <laughs> so so, so we, we can't kind of divide up our spiritual activities. No, we can't. And, and, and say, um, um, I'm, I'm going to do the Bible study, my wife will do the praying, no. and my little boy will do the witnessing. <laughs> and, 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 and he has the voice for it. At four months, he has the voice for it. I guarantee, I guarantee you. Um, he, he, can, he can wake people up in the middle of the night. So it's something that all of us need to be focused on. Definitely. Definitely. I don't have to be a biblical scholar, do I? No, to not at all. be devoted to the study of Scripture? No. And that's the, the joy and the beauty of the Holy Spirit. He's promised us understanding, despite our educational knowledge. The um, apostles were unlearned men. Some of the apostles were unlearned men. And yet the, the Holy Spirit was able to do phenomenal things with their ministry and with their lives as a result of their surrender entirely to the Holy Spirit and to the example that Jesus Christ had set. So really the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of Christ's promise mm-hmm. of guiding us into all truth. Exactly. And so the Holy Spirit wouldn't replace Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Spirit-filled life doesn't mean we need less of Scripture. No. It simply means we're going to understand Scripture more fully. Exactly. It's going to be applied and lived out in our lives more completely. Mm-hmm. And they work in harmony, right? The Holy Spirit, the example of Jesus, and the leadership of God. So we have a church, a Spirit-filled church, a Spirit-led church, mm-hmm. that is focused Mm-hmm. They're continually devoting themselves mm-hmm. to the apostles' teaching. Mm-hmm. And then those, those second two components, mm-hmm. to fellowship, the breaking of bread, those, those seem to go together, Daryl. Mm-hmm. And what is this fellowship that they're devoting themselves to? Thank you, Sean. I think that question is really relevant. I think let's turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Let's go back to our, our passage just to have a look a little bit more about what the two elements were. I think in Acts chapter 2, there's a combination of things which make the church very effective in soul winning and I think there are lots of principles that we can learn from and the particular question about fellowship is extremely important in verse 42 it says that they continued steadfast in the apostles doctrine in fellowship in the breaking of bread and I notice I like the sandwich principle because there's a sandwich in which we need to look at this concept of fellowship you see the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia And koinonia, sometimes when you think about fellowship, we think about hanging out with people, or we think about fellowship as saying hello to someone after church potluck and not seeing them until next week. But I think in the Bible, in the early church, fellowship is a lot more than that. If you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23, we see that Paul describes his fellow workers as more than just team members. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23, it gives us a clue as to what fellowship meant to the early church. The Bible says that if anyone inquires about Titus, now I assume Titus is uh, Paul's friend here, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. You see, sometimes in the Adventist church, and I'm, I'm guilty of this sometimes as well, we are very good at 
working in teams. We are very good at working with people in church as colleagues, but we are perhaps not so good at making friends with our church members. And you know, in the early, apostles, uh, the early apostles, Titus was not only Paul's worker and fellow missionary, he was Paul's friend as well. He was Paul's friend. And I think this is again seen, if you, if you want to turn with me to another Bible verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, we see the same concept of fellowship. What does fellowship mean? You're a friend, you're a team member, you're a worker, but I think that's more than that. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. The Bible says, And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will partake of the consolation. Now, the, the word partake here comes from the same Greek root word, and it, it's almost as if fellowship means that the disciples were united. They were united in mission, in purpose, but they were there not only to, to spread the gospel, but they were there to encourage and support each other as friends. Now, it sounds like this is sort of an undoing of the rupturing of human relationships in Genesis chapter 3, where we have this closeness, this fellowship of Adam, Eve, and their maker, ruptured by, of course, sin and rebellion. And now here we have a spirit-filled church. Thousands are coming to Christ, and they're being brought back into that unity, that fellowship, that closeness with each other and their maker. You mentioned the sandwich principle. And I'm kind of looking at that verse, uh, verse 42, and we have that fellowship right in the middle of teaching and prayer. Absolutely. And I think that this means that fellowship is not so much something that we do or something that we attempt to do, but it's a way of living. It's a lifestyle. The way we interact with our friends, the way we interact with our team members, the way we interact with the church, but also the way that apostles interacted with people who were non-believers. I think that, that's, that's even more. You notice in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, if you read all the way down to 47, it says that many were added to the church daily. So this fellowship, this breaking of bread, applies to not only church members, but also impacts the way that the apostles dealt with non-believers in the community. So this, this Christian fellowship, this coming together, um, and, and I'm, I'm really struck, you mentioned reading down through verse 42, I'm really struck by how tangible this fellowship is. Uh, as he describes these activities that they're involved in, they are selling their property to support each other. They are uh, continuing with one wine in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, eating together, praising God together, interacting with others together. It, it seems like this fellowship principle impacts every facet of our lives. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's so much so a lifestyle that in every aspect... These apostles are united in the same mission, in the same goals, with the same excitement. And it's almost like you can say, you know, they can call each other up anytime. Hey, how are you going? You know, what are you up to? Should we catch up? Should we encourage? Do you want to spend some time praying together? It's almost, it's, it's a sense of edification, it's a sense uh, of, of encouragement, it's a way of supporting each other. It's a way that they lived their lives in the early church. And God really blessed the early church. Now, if, if this fellowship is truly going to be biblical, uh, because, I mean, we can have lots of kind of fellowship, right? Um, there's going to be a New Year's Eve party tonight right across the street from us. Um, it's going to be a little bit loud, probably. And I imagine there's some fellowshipping going to take place out there. Um, um, is, is, is that different than the kind of fellowship we're talking about? I mean, there's going to be a lot of unbelievers. Is that fellowship? 
Well, it's interesting, you know, in, in Ellen White's writing, she, she does mention that meetings of believers or meetings or small group meetings that we have should be both spiritual and social at the same time. Too often, I think there's not a balance found between those two aspects. And sometimes when we are fellowshipping, we try and be holy or spiritual, but we miss out on the social component. At other times, we also find that, um, you know, when we, when we get together, we, we just want to have fun. And sometimes we, we forget about that we, we are reflecting God's character, character in everything we do. And so I think a balance between the two is vitally important. And you see, all throughout the book of Acts, they, I'm sure the disciples and the, uh, the early apostles and the early church enjoyed the time they had together. They had holistic uh, uh, joy and enjoyment together, but yet at the same time they were spiritually focused. It makes me think of First uh, John, First uh, John chapter 1. And First John chapter 1 uh, is introduced with this, this concept of us having fellowship, of us being one, of us interacting with each other as God believe, God's believers, and also as, pardon me, also as individuals who are fellowshipping with, with, with the Lord. Um, and I'm, I'm struck that as we read this, this verse, I'm just reading a couple of verses if you don't mind, Dale, um, that this is the elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also those who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Son of the Father in truth and in love. So this unity, this truth, this fellowship that brings us together has to be saturated with, with truth. Absolutely. And in fact, you know, surely if you turn one, one book backward to 1 John chapter 1, it's, it's almost interesting it's, when we look at the epistles of uh, John here, 1 John chapter 1 complements what you've just read in, in 2 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 verse 6 and 7 describes the fellowship that we have with someone else. And this is almost the model that we can have as an early church. Verse 6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, being as we're having fellowship here, I can be honest, that's actually the verse I was looking for. And I was looking there in First John, I thought it was First John, it was Second John I was looking at. Thank you, dear. I'm really glad you brought us that. I'm glad nobody else knows that I missed that, just the four of us. That is good. So, so, so we have this fellowship, and this is truth-based fellowship. So... While there may be a New Year's Eve party going on outside, that may not be biblical fellowship, then you're saying. I'm not sure what they do in the New Year's parties here in America. I'm from Australia. So, but the, the New Year's parties I have back home are, are slightly different. I, I think that you know, the apostles in their early fellowship, everything they did was focused on Jesus. And the model for their fellowship development was their fellowship and interaction and their, their integration of Jesus and the Holy Spirit into their own lives. And this is what we hear about this weekend. Fill me our earnest plea, because when the Holy Spirit fills us, the fellowship that we have with our friends, with our family, with our workers, with our church members, with the people around us, becomes naturally focused on Jesus. And I suppose then that fellowship focused on Jesus would be sacrificial giving fellowship, where we're looking at how we can bless and benefit others rather than just looking for, well, you, you know, those, those kind of people who, who, who call you all the time and uh, you're not one of those people are you like any hour of the day I, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor <laughs> and um, when, I, when I first started pastoring I had, had a dear member of one of my churches 
who would call me at all hours of the day. Um, just because he woke up in the middle of the night and wanted to talk to somebody, he'd call his pastor at 2 o'clock in the morning. And I wasn't married yet, so it, it worked out okay. Uh, but I actually got to the point, and, and don't tell my church members, where I, I turned my phone on silent at night uh, just, just because of that. Um, is that the kind of fellowship we're talking about where, well, I guess I'm being convicted right now, self-sacrificing, giving fellowship. He wasn't having that kind of fellowship, but I should have been giving that kind of fellowship to him, right? Well, I guess so. I don't know. I've never been a pastor, so I can't comment on that. You know, sometimes it's interesting, and sometimes it's difficult to get the balance between overstretching yourself and wanting to give of yourself self-sacrificially to support others as well. But I think if you notice the disciples, uh, the example, going back to Acts chapter 2, this was their life. This was their life. And sometimes when we look at it as something that we have to drag ourselves to do, it becomes a chore. And it's almost like, oh man, you know, some, the same person at church has called me again to bring food for potluck that's like three weeks in a row. It's, I can't do that. But when you look at it from the angle, when you look at it from the, the, through the glasses of wow, I'm supporting my fellow church members and we're doing this together to encourage each other and to encourage our church family, it becomes so much more of a positive approach. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm struck by the radicalness of the fellowship. Just there in Acts chapter 2, they're selling their belongings so that they can share with all. Um, I have a few belongings back home. And, you know, that, that guy who would call me at 2 o'clock in the morning... You know, I'm not sure if I'd be willing to, to sell my MacBook to, you know, feed him or, you know, send him to somewhere where they don't have cell phones, you know, no phones, so he can't call me. I, 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 don't, I don't know if, 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 if you know, is, is that what we'll be calling to do is, is to sell things and just give and give and give and give. You know, I think that's, a, that's a, what I call a symptom of the underlying principle. You know, in, in the field that I work in, in medicine, Symptoms are an example, a display of the underlying principle. I think if you look at Acts chapter 10, the principle is illustrated here. And I want to quickly just have a look at the story here in Acts chapter 10 of why the apostles were so excited about selling their, their possessions and, and giving all for Jesus. You, you, you must have read Acts chapter 10 before where it's telling the story of Cornelius. And remember, Cornelius was a non-believer. So here we're focusing on fellowship between believers and non-believers and Peter was called by or was given a vision and then someone came to ask Peter to leave his house or the place where he was staying to go to Cornelius' house and share with them about the gospel. I want you to notice when Peter returns, so in, uh, sorry, in Acts chapter 10, verse 48, he says he commanded them to be baptized after he'd finished his sharing in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Now, I imagine here that Cornelius' uh, family would have fellowship with Peter. And when you stay at someone's house for a few days, you don't just stay in your room and, and pray and sleep. I'm sure you go out and you have food together and maybe you go for a bushwalk or a hike together. And I, I, I'm just, what is a bushwalk? Uh, <laughs> A bushwalk is the Australian term for a hike. Oh, okay. okay. Or um, I don't know, they, they play ball together. Is that what you guys call it here? Or, or, or something. And, and, you know, they, they go fishing together. Who knows? Peter, Peter could have taught Cornelius how to fish, and Cornelius could have taught Peter how to march properly down the street, being a, being a general. And, and so here in Acts chapter 11, when, when Peter returns back to the other disciples, 
Notice what they say in verse 2. When Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into uncircumcised men and what? And ate with them. So Peter had done exactly what Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47 was saying. He was breaking bread with these unbelievers. And you know, I want to compliment that with a quote from the pen of inspiration in Gospel Workers, page 193. Ellen White writes that your success will not depend so much upon your knowledge and accomplishments as upon your ability to find your way to the heart. By becoming social and coming close to the people, you may turn the current of their thoughts more readily than the most able discourse. You know, sometimes as Adventists, we get the order slightly wrong. We are encouraged and I was so excited yesterday, I was helping to flag people to load the buses. I was so excited, there were so many people who were excited to go and give outreach and that's always exciting. And we're excited about sharing our faith to people that we meet, the family and friends that we have. But too often we try and share our faith without trying to befriend someone. You know, I have a principle that uh, I try and live by, and I believe it's biblically, uh, biblically and spirit of prophecy based, that someone, in order for someone to come and want to stay in the church, they need to belong first, then believe, and then they behave. They belong because they feel comfortable in a circle of community, they feel comfortable in a friendship group, they feel comfortable fellowshipping with us who are Seventh-day Adventists, and then for them it's easier once they belong in fellowship to listen to the, to the teachings and the doctrines that Elizabeth was sharing about this morning and also as Natasha will share about in terms of prayer, often we, we turn it upside down. We try and share with them without wanting to be, befriend them. And I think that fellowship and breaking of bread in the early disciples, what Peter did, what uh, Paul did, what all the other disciples did, was not only share the faith, but also befriend them first. So this fellowship is not necessarily church membership. Absolutely not. Um, so we are, we are befriending and fellowshipping and spending time with not just our church family, but with our human family as a whole. Absolutely. You know, we're talking about this, this, this whole fellowship, uh, apostles teaching. We're going to talk about prayer in a minute. And I, I, as I look through this, this description of the spirit-filled church just after the day of Pentecost, where's the public evangelistic series? Um, are, they, are they still preaching? Absolutely. Are they, are they, are they, are they still? So, so, so this fellowship isn't replacing public proclamation? Absolutely not. In fact, you, you just touched on the point I just wanted to raise. In, and I, it, it's summarized in this quote. I need to read to you because when I read it last night while preparing, I was so moved by it. Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 3, page 275. This is talking about the Acts chapter 2 example, and this is describing what happened at the end. And, and Ellen White quotes that passage, and then she says, There were men at the feast, at the eating, the, the breaking of bread, the fellowshipping, from every quarter of the world. And the truths received by them were carried to their various homes and published among their people, winning souls to Christ. Yes, they were preaching public evangelism and Peter preached a powerful sermon in Acts chapter 2. Yes, they were sharing. Yes, they were teaching. But the things that they could share whilst they were fellowshipping were just as powerful to win souls for Jesus. So I guess in a sense they were following the example of Christ. You know, that famous quote, a ministry of healing, Christ's method alone gives true success. He mingled with men as one who desired their good, ministered to their needs, won their confidence. Then, then he bade them follow me. 
Absolutely. And I think if every member of our church worldwide would do that today, can you imagine the number of souls that we can win for Christ? So fellowship is evangelistic. Absolutely. Fellowship, focus on the apostles' doctrine, a focus on prayer results in verse 47 of the Lord continually adding to the church. So we, we have a focus on doctrine, a focus on teaching, because that reveals to us, that's where we find an accurate, reliable identification of who God is, his character, his love for us, his will and his plan for our lives. But that leads us to fellowship. This, this apostle's teaching takes place in the context of fellowship, spending time with believers. We're not isolated. No man is an island. But there's prayer as well. I guess we need to have a balance. We don't just get together and study. We just don't get together and fellowship. We also spend time in prayer. And Natasha, why? Why was prayer so important in the life of the Spirit-filled church. After all, they'd already gotten what they prayed for, the Holy Spirit. They had. They had. You know, Sean, as I look at the, the beginning chapters in Acts, there's, like, there's hardly even a chapter where prayer is not mentioned. It was like the very backdrop, the very foundation out of which the church even operated. You know, back before, like you mentioned, the Holy Spirit was poured out, there was only 120 of them. But actually, prayer, if you look at the Bible account in Acts chapter 1, prayer was like their primary, uh, their primary activity, that and study of the Word, before the Holy Spirit was poured out. And then once the Holy Spirit was poured out, then you see prayer all infused throughout every single thing they do. You know, I look, um, <clears throat> one example that I was looking at as I was studying Acts was, was right there at the beginning when they were having to choose another apostle to join in with the group there. They prayed. The Bible specifically says they stopped and prayed before they chose who the church leaders were going to be. And as I think about our lives as young people and as we're participating in the church that we long to see the Holy Spirit, you know, in and everything like that, um, how often, you know, just recently... Our, our church had had the same pastor for like eight years, which is pretty long to have, you know, a pastor in one church. And he was an incredibly godly man. And then, to our great distress, he was being transferred away. And we were going to have to get a new pastor. And our, you know, our church was a little bit in an unsettled state there when we didn't have a pastor and everything. During that time, it's easy for us as young people to be like, oh, boy. There went, you know, our last pastor, he was so wonderful, you know, I can't believe we're losing him. When in reality, our job, if we follow the Bible, is to get on our knees. Even we as young people, we don't think we can do that much about it, but God is the one that can do about it, and prayer is what connects us to him. And prayer, the intercession, can accomplish everything in the world. And I'm thankful to say we did get another very wonderful pastor in our church after much prayer. God was, God was very good. And then as you look into, as you continue studying through Acts, you see prayer in medical ministry. Peter, when he was going to heal um, Dorcas, he knelt down and prayed, the Bible says specifically, before he went and actually told her to arise. Or when, when Peter and John went and healed the man by the beautiful gate in the temple, they were on their way to pray. Prayer was all infused throughout. And we're not doing healings, obviously, at this point, but we are called to reach out through medical missionary even if we aren't medical personnel we are called to visit the sick we are called to reach out to the hurting and prayer is the very backdrop of that so god still works miracles through prayer 
as, as we fall to our knees and pray. You know, I think it's interesting of the ten times in the New Testament where God's people are described as being devoted to something. I think like six of those times is in reference to prayer. Mm. We have that before the day of Pentecost, yeah. as they're in the upper room in Acts 1. But we have it here in Acts chapter 2 as a description of, of what they're devoted to mm. as, as an early church that's spirit-filled. And then, of course, we get to Acts 6, where there's this little bit of a concern about the... Well, I, I guess, you know, we read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, we get this idea that this is a utopian community. Yeah, everything's Acts, working perfectly. Yeah, <laughs> you get to Acts 6 and you find out, well, some people feel they're getting left out. Uh-huh. But... The disciples, the apostles, what was their response when they were asked to care for some of these, these other needs? Right, right. Well, there comes up this stress, you know, because it's like the Greeks are saying, they're, Greeks are complaining of some discrimination issues. They're saying, you know, the, the, the Jewish widows are getting, you know, helped in this daily ministration where everyone was being helped by everybody else, as we read in Acts chapter 2. But the Grecian widows were not getting that enough, and they were complaining that, there was an issue of discrimination there and there was some tensions over it the bible the bible indicates and the apostles make a very interesting comment they make the comment that it would not be appropriate for them to neglect prayer and the ministry of the word even for something like church administration or ministering to the poor and the widows which are biblical commands which, are, which they recognized to be needful and necessary, but they said flat out that, that it would be inappropriate for them to neglect prayer and the ministry of the word for this. Now, that doesn't mean they ignored it. They took care of it. They did take care of it, and they arranged for things to happen so that that would be uh, handled fairly. But they had this recognition of the importance of prayer and the importance of the word of God. Now, are you telling us then that, or is Scripture telling us, right, because we don't really care what we think? Um, well, I kind of care what I think, but anyway. Um, but, but is the Bible telling us then that only certain people should be devoted to prayer? I mean, after all, it was just the apostles devoted to prayer, and some of the less, less important of us would take care of, you know, like issues like discrimination and, and uh, <laughs> feeding people and things like that? No, indeed. In fact, Paul, later on in, in the New Testament, comments that we are all to pray without ceasing. It's not just like a suggestion. It's actually a command to pray without ceasing. Peter talks about prayer also. John talks about prayer, approaching God in prayer. Not just something for the apostles, not just something for the pastor, the elder, the conference president, the general conference president. You know, it wasn't just something for them. It was something for everyone to continue in continually to devote themselves to it. So we have a spirit-filled church that prays, Mm -hmm. even though their prayer has been answered. You know, Mm -hmm. I wonder if sometimes we come to a conference like this, Natasha, and our theme itself is fill me out honestly. It's it's a prayer Mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. And we've been praying that all week long. We'll continue to pray that all through uh, uh, today and then tomorrow until noon when we depart. Mm -hmm. But But it seems like what happened with the early Christian church was... It was, this was not just an intense focus on prayer, but then they went home and forgot about it. But it was an ongoing part of the Christian life. Mm-hmm. How do we actually make that happen? How do we make sure that we are continually devoted to prayer, not just when I'm surrounded by 5,000 people who are encouraging me to pray? Hmm. You know, I, I think it has a lot to do with incorporating it into our daily lives, our daily schedule. As we look into the book of Acts, we see Peter and John, who were 
like we could quite easily say the most prominent of the apostles. Um, you know, Paul came along a little bit later and was also very prominent. But in the early church, right then, before Paul came on the scene, Peter and John were like the primary figures. And we see them going to the temple to pray. Rather than dealing with all this and that and the other, and you know, we need to organize, let's preach a sermon, let's... And I think so often we get caught up in the, the, uh, the details of our day, of our school, of our work, or if we are a part of a ministry, the details of the ministry. And all those things are good and all those things are necessary. But we see even Peter and John making time, even in their incredibly busy schedules, as the most prominent leaders of this new church, taking aside active, actual time to pray to God. So if... If you, if me, if all of us are devoted to something, Mm. we're going to be intentional about it. Mm -hmm. We're going to be intentional about making sure it is a active, vibrant part of our lives. Amen. And um, we will, Natasha, you mentioned the the reality that we individually can make this a part of our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, some of us may go home to a church that isn't devoted to prayer. Hmm. isn't devoted to the apostles' teaching and wouldn't know what fellowship was if it came up and bit them on the nose. Hmm. So can I really, if I go home, and I, by the way, I, I tell you, I'm a pastor. That, I'm not describing my church, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, not describing my churches. But, um, you know, if we do go to a church like that um, or a family like that, hmm. that spiritual fervor, Bible study prayer is not part of family life, hmm. can I do something about it? Or am I just stuck having my own individual existence in that context? And, Dale, I, I think you probably would have, could address us on that. This reality of when we feel isolated, when we want to devote, like the early church did ourselves, to prayer, to fellowship and Bible study, but we feel like we're all alone. Yeah, that's a difficult one. In the country where I come from, there are a lot of uh, church members and also young people who are not in a place or are really isolated because Australia is a fairly big country we have 20 million people across a vast landmass with only 55,000 Adventists and sometimes when we are stuck in a situation and we, we don't know what to do and we are disappointed and discouraged and we feel all alone we'll always go back always go back to the initial start of the matter how can the Holy Spirit change me How can the Holy Spirit change me, my heart, fill my heart so that I can then reach out to the people around me? And you know, whether that's starting a prayer life, whether that's thinking of one name that we can share with or fellowship with that week, whether it's doing a Bible study or preparing a Bible study that we can share with someone else, it comes back to the filling of our heart by the Holy Spirit before we can reach the people around us in our church, our family, our community. So, as you mentioned, it starts individually. Fill me out on his plea. God calls me to my needs first, to be pleading with him that he would fill and transform my life. And then I can be part of, of something bigger that he's doing in my church. Um, so, in a, in a very practical sense, then, what you're saying then is, is I can go back to my church, or where I am, and I don't have to wait for someone else to initiate Christian fellowship. I don't have to wait for someone else to initiate a prayer ministry in my church. I don't have to wait for someone else to initiate Bible study in my church. I can take that step as God's leading me. 
I could reach out and invite someone else to study the Bible with me. I could go up to Elizabeth and say, let's pray. I don't have to sit in a corner and just wait for someone else to take the initiative. And and this is so applicable for those of us who are at public universities. I, for myself, I'm at a very secular university. And when I I first got there, it seemed very dry. No, there was, at least during the week, there was no Bible studies. Like, it was very hard to have spiritual conversations with people. But if you go with it in a very intentional, like, I'm going to, I want to create this atmosphere. I want to create, by the grace of God and by the... um, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to have this community, then God will surround you with people who are interested in the same things and who who may not have expressed it without you expressing it initially, but God will work on their heart, and he's there before you are, and he, he will tug at the heartstrings. Um, the Holy Spirit will tug at the heartstrings of people and create that community. So there are definitely people who are, who are searching just as we are searching, and God through our prayers, we'll answer it so that we will, we will come into contact with those people. We just have to be intentional about it. You know, to add to that, I think it's, it's great in a place like this on this weekend, we can combine a time of prayer, of revival, of commitment to wanting to be filled by the Holy Spirit with good tools that we can gain from a place like this, networking with other young people and other people who are interested in a similar area or passionate about reaching souls for Jesus, getting good tools from the seminars that we attend and and, and getting some of the materials available here. And when you combine good tools with a heart that is prepared, God can do anything through you, one person alone. And you know, Sean, I think sometimes... We as young people, we, we like these ideals. We like what we see in like Acts chapter 2 and things like that. But when we compare it to our own real life, it seems the contrast is almost discouraging. And then we think perhaps, you know what, yeah, I would love to have fellowship. But if, my, if I actually had a youth group, there's like, you know, there, there's only people 16 above in my church. We're very small. We don't, whatever. And then we automatically discount the concept of fellowship. Whereas I think sometimes we young people need to just think outside the box a little bit. In our church, um, we just had, not, not too long ago, we had uh, an elderly woman transfer membership into our church, and I'm actually the church clerk, so I was dealing with her membership, and there was some difficulty getting it over, and so I ended up spending time with her on that. And then after she was transferred into our church, I just felt like I should cultivate a friendship with her. And let me tell you, after the, you know, the weeks and months of every time she came to church, my cultivating a friendship with her, I don't know, she's probably late 70s, perhaps 80. I have a wonderful, fantastic friendship. I have true biblical fellowship with that person. And it fills my heart with joy to see her. Oftentimes when we walk in and see somebody in their 80s, we don't think, oh, fellowship immediately. But there is true godly fellowship there if we'll look for it. So Christian fellowship, biblical fellowship is cross-generational. It reaches across racial boundaries. It reaches across, well, what other boundaries are there I'm sure there's some other boundaries, aren't there, besides racial and, and, and age, age boundaries. You know, I, I mentioned to you that I'm, I'm pastoring, and I, I, I just, uh, my wife and I moved uh, to this new district about six months ago. And in one of my churches, there's this, this older, older gentleman um, who um, would kind of struck up some conversations with me at church and, and then invited me to come and just kind of visit him a little bit. That's what a pastor's supposed to do anyway, right, go visit people. And uh, then he took me out to visit some of his friends. And we actually set off some guy's alarm in his house. He wasn't there. And anyway, it was, it was an adventure. And um, a, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I had a Christmas open house at our house. On a Sunday afternoon, we invited both of our churches over just to spend some time visiting. And uh, he told me he wanted to come two hours early. Because he says, Pastor, I just think I'll have you to myself. 
And so he came over, and he sat on the front porch, and, and we chatted. And uh, he helped me clean some things up and take care of some stuff in the yard. And he was craving fellowship. And he didn't care that there was this young pastor who didn't look like he was old enough to read, who, you know, he was happy to have fellowship with me. So, so, so I was seeing the same thing. Instead of me initiating fellowship with someone older than me, he was taking the initiative and saying, I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to get to know you. I'm going to fellowship with you. So we can do that. We don't have to wait. I wonder how many of us here, oh, there are some people here, aren't there? I wonder wonder how many of us here have been waiting for someone else to take the initiative to institute biblical life in a church. I wonder how many of us have been content just sitting back and maybe complaining that nobody's doing anything in my church. Or sitting back and thinking, why why doesn't the pastor do an evangelistic series? Or why doesn't he do a better prayer meeting? I go fall asleep when I come to prayer meeting. Um, I don't even go to prayer meeting. How many of you go to prayer meeting? See, we're going to work on that. We're going to work on next year. Next year when you come to GYC, somebody may ask that question. Every hand is going to go up, right? Every hand is going to go up. How many of you have prayed here at GYC, spent intentional time praying here at GYC outside of our main sessions? I'm glad to see that. Praise the Lord. You'll put prayers, prayers important. How many of you have fellowshiped? And by, by the way, if you want some biblical fellowship this evening, I'm available to have dinner. Now, now I'm a married man, so so that means it needs to be a group. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, um, but. But, 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 but fellowship is important. We, we're having that here, but we can take this experience home, right? Um, now, I wonder, if, as we're concluding in a few minutes, I wonder if we could reflect for a few minutes on the reality that, that all of this life of the church, and I guess we'll take back to what we, we discussed, Elizabeth, at the beginning. This whole life of the church was based on what the Scripture teaches. That's what's mentioned first, the Apostles' doctrine. Sometimes people say, we don't need to worry about doctrine. We don't need to worry about teachings. We'll just focus on Jesus. We'll love each other. We'll hold hands, sing kumbaya, and then Jesus will come. Um, I'm a made man, so I don't hold hands with people anyway. Um, so that doesn't work for me. Um, but I guess that doesn't seem to be what's happening here. And I guess that's not what we're going to be doing as spirit-filled people. No, not at all. I mean, if like I said, the Apostles' Doctrine is focused on Christ. So we always have to center it on Christ. And if we lose sight of who Christ is, we can get it. We, people have gotten into plenty of trouble because they lose sight of the heart and the focus of why fellowship exists, who the center of our fellowship is, who, um, and why prayer exists, and who, who the center of our prayer is, and who, who intercedes on our behalf to make our prayers acceptable in the sight of God. So really, when we lose sight of Christ, we, we kind of negate the potential of what can be unleashed otherwise. And we invite a lot of, we, have, we invite a lot of room for trouble and for, um, for self-gain and for self-gratification and for self. Um, we exemplify ourselves rather than Christ. And we are imperfect, therefore we're going to have imperfect fellowship or imperfect prayer and imperfect relations. 
But scripture kind of keeps us on track. In an imperfect world with imperfect people who are being transformed, aren't we? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Being empowered to be likewise. I appreciate what Pastor DeVejo has been sharing with us in the evening. Uh, and I remember he mentioned that uh, temptation is a win. Falling is an if into sin. Um, I suspect that that's going to be more and more our experience as we are filled with the Spirit, as we're focused on Scripture, as we're allowing that to drive the life and the mission and the ministry of our church. I wonder if we can make this very intensely practical. And I wonder if each one of you could come up with two very practical suggestions, principles, that all of us could take home with ourselves and apply as we are struggling to to have this spirit-filled existence. Um, you know, what are, what are two practical suggestions for, for being devoted to Scripture? What are two practical de- suggestions for being devoted to fellowship? What are two practical suggestions for being devoted to prayer? And I guess it's not really fair, but Elizabeth will start with you. See, they'll get to think about it more, but <laughs> you don't okay. get much time. Um, to be devoted to Scripture, I think it would be great if we spent time memorizing scripture so we could have it on our heart, like David says, to light, to be a path onto us so we can constantly meditate on it. Um, And secondly, to spend intentional time during the day, in the evening or in in the morning, in the word, and really meditating on it and spending time reflecting on it and asking the Lord to give us um, a message for the day so that we can really be prepared for what's to come and give us a message that someone else may need and to truly infuse um, the word in our conversation so that it's not just something that we do in the morning or at night or not something we memorize just by ourselves, but something that we we make real and tangible in our conversations and in, in, our, in our interactions. So, memorize scripture. Mm-hmm. I guess that's pretty devoted, isn't it? Yeah. Focus on memorizing scripture. So, Dale, how can I be focused on fellowship in a very practical way. Yeah, I think we can do two practical things, Sean. I think, why not think, let each of us think of two names that when we leave this place and go back this week, two church members that you can intentionally make an effort to fellowship with this week, whether it's giving them a call, not just to ask them to do something, but to spend time listening to them, encouraging them, praying with them or maybe going to a Friday night prayer meeting or Wednesday night prayer meeting together with these two people just to support each other. And on the other hand, think of two non-believers who we can intentionally fellowship with this week, whether it's going for uh, an outing or inviting them over to your house for dinner. Let's think of four names, two church members and two who are not yet believers that we can intentionally fellowship with when we leave this place this week. So, Elizabeth, you said memorize scripture. And I have another one. Oh, you have another one. Oh, okay. <laughs> we can, um, I know for me, I have, like, on my iPod, I have the Bible on my iPod. So, as I'm walking, listening to the, to the word on my iPod, you know, if you listen to something long enough, it becomes music to your ears. So, really just using the word in that way, even as we're walking and stuff. So, so your suggestions are, are saturating our mind with God's word. Exactly. Saturating our mind with God's word. Prayerfully thinking of, of two individuals in God's church that this next week I'll reach out to and fellowship with, and two who are not yet believers. And then, Natasha, what are two suggestions for how we can be devoted to prayer? Well, the first one that comes to my mind is to actually make an appointment in our day 
time to spend with God. And you know what? Like, inevitably, Sean, because the devil's so dedicated to us not spending time praying, the cell phone will be ringing. Someone's going to be knocking at the door. You know, my dog will be sick to his stomach and throwing up. Something is going to happen at that point to keep me from spending time with God. But if we make that concrete appointment and we keep it as we would keep an appointment with our senator, because isn't God so much greater than our senator? You have appointments with your senator? <laughs> well, I think that's great. You know, be, be, be involved in our country. So that's wonderful. I, I just thought maybe, maybe there's a story behind that. That's just, the, that's just the person that came to my mind. But, you know, but seriously, keep it that seriously. Isn't God so much more great, so much more omnipotent, has so much more under his control, weighing in the balance to, to respond to his word than our senator? I mean, think if you made an appointment with your senator, you should keep it. But you know what? How much more should we keep an appointment when we make it with God? Even though the devil will send everything he possibly can to keep us. So the first suggestion, make an actual appointment in the day ahead of time. Of time to spend with God and don't let anything get in the way. That's been one of the biggest blessings in my own personal life. And my second suggestion is to actually find a person to pray with also. Together, joining together, where Christ says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. I still live at home, so, um, you know, a while ago I would go to my mom every night and she would pray with me before I went to bed. Or our family, we meet at, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning and 7 o'clock in the evening. Or, or a friend or someone. Find someone to pray with so that that is continually a part of your life. You just mentioned seven in the morning, seven in the evening. That's, mm-hmm. well, seven, 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 seven days a week, right? That's one of you the bet. initiatives of the Revival and Reformation Community to encourage us to have an appointment mm-hmm. with God in prayer. So I've got to review these in my mind to make sure I know them. And uh, the more I review them, the more you'll remember them. Are you going to jot these down? Aren't these great ideas? Yeah, jot those down. Yeah, they're, they're good. Um, so I'm going to memorize scripture every day. And then saturate my mind with scripture when I'm walking or running or whatever, uh, driving in the car, pop in a CD, and listen to the Bible. Mm-hmm. So two suggestions. Um, and then, Dale, you said that I should prayerfully consider two church members, two believers. And this next week, reach out to them, find an opportunity to fellowship with them. And then secondly, that I'm going to think of two non-believers. And I'm going to be very intentional about reaching out to them this next week and, and having an opportunity to fellowship with them. And then thirdly, um, for prayer, Natasha, you mentioned make an appointment with God. And, and keep it. An appointment with God and keep it. Some of us aren't too good with that. Um, I'm not a very organized person. Um, when I was in academy, um, I had a little saying that procrastination breeds creativity. Um, be, because I, I, I sometimes, you know, push things back. Um, that's deadly. In a Christian's life, isn't it? It is. Pushing it is. back our time with God, saying, I'll sleep in a little extra this morning, mm-hmm. skip my devotions, or I'll have them tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to spend time praying right now. I'll do it later. Mm-hmm. But making an appointment and keeping it. Mm-hmm. And then, and secondly, is to pray regularly with someone else, yeah. not just myself. Mm-hmm. Pray regularly with someone else. Did you guys get those? Did you get those? Six wonderful suggestions. Six wonderful suggestions. And if you need more suggestions on how you can begin to implement the acts 
lifestyle of the church in your church, in your life. If you're wanting more training, Dale mentioned you getting training, getting equipped and, 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 and empowered, something we're doing here at GYC, for how we can begin to focus on the activities of the Spirit-filled church. This afternoon, right here in the main auditorium, at 2.15, we're going to have a program called Total Church. And it's actually based, the whole program is based on Acts 2.42-47. to 47. And we're going to look at how we can be empowered, equipped, and engaged in the life of our local churches. We're going to be looking at, we're going to have a variety of breakout sessions, but you want to, you want to meet right here uh, for us at 2.15. And we're going to begin looking at some very practical ways that we can begin to implement this kind of lifestyle in, in our churches. So what time are we going to gather here this afternoon? 2.15, that's right, 2.15 for total church. And there are going to be 14 breakout sessions after the main session for two hours. You're going to be receiving practical, relevant, you can take it home and put it into practice training. And so I'm hoping every one of you will be here. Um, you know, um, this morning during our devotion, uh, Sharissa was talking about when she gave a speech and she impromptu felt she had to make an appeal. Um, and, you know, I think that's appropriate to make an appeal. Um, so how many of you are going to come to Total Church this afternoon? Will you raise your hand? Now, I'm guessing I see a lot of hands. This doesn't mean that I'm better at appeals than Shuissa, because when she was 14, nobody raised her hand. Um, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to look down on Shuissa. You know, this is, this is, yeah, okay. This wasn't a thought-through thing, right? This isn't a, yeah, okay, you guys got it. So, so can I see those hands again? Wonderful, wonderful. I, I, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray that... God is going to lift a few more hands, just a few more hands. So could, could we try that again? Um, this is not manipulation, mind you, right? This is not manipulation. This is this is biblical encouragement. So how many of you are going to be at Total Church this afternoon? Praise the Lord. I look forward to seeing each of you there. And I think it'd be good for us in just a minute to actually spend some time praying that God would compel us to adopt this kind of life for ourselves and, and for our church. And I'm going to invite everyone where you are. If you would just turn to the person next to you, just turn to the person next to you, just in twos, and let's spend a few minutes, let's spend some time praying that God will help us remember when we go home that we're taking a new approach to Alan's personal life and the life of the church. We're going to have an axe approach to Christian experience, the Christian life, first of all. And secondly, that God would compel us, not just remind us, but compel us, not give us any rest until we step forward in faith to follow his leading in implementing the life of a spirit-filled church. Can you do that together with us this morning? Those two items that God would help us remember when we go home. Six wonderful suggestions. Remember. And secondly, that he would compel us. Let's do that right now. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.